Good evening, everyone. It's been uh, quite a number of years since I've been here on a Sunday night. I've been involved in <clears throat> small groups, and I understand that I uh, should be done by about 8. Is that correct? Yeah. I understand. Brahms is calling, and I understand. Um, when I teach here on Sunday mornings, it's kind of scattered out, so I tend to walk back and forth uh, to that side and this side. So if I get walking too much, I'm going to, Helen Pratt, please tell me to, to stand still if I get to walking too much. So I'm, I'm going to count on you. I'll look at you from my cue. Okay. I don't know about you, for many years I've used the um, one-year Bible, and the one-year Bible is a Bible that breaks down the readings into daily readings, and by the end of the year, if, as long as you keep up with it, you've read through the entire uh, Bible. It's an easy, disciplined way to, to read your Bible, in my opinion. Um, a few weeks ago, I was reading uh, the, set, the uh, book of Ruth, and it just happens, perhaps fittingly, that this book was around Mother's Day. It's the, uh, often the subject of Mother's Day sermons uh, that I can remember, and I'll have to admit that's often how I've viewed the book. Um, there have been countless books and videos and commentaries and DVDs and sermon series produced about this short book, and it's always, to me, been easy to skip through this short book between the uh, judges and all the adventures of the judges and then the escapades of King Saul and, and King David in, in uh, the books of Samuel. But during this reading, I begin to notice that this is more than just a once-in-a-year uh, book. It's a story for all seasons. It's not simply designed for one day of the year. And in the very first sentence of the very first verse of the very first chapter, it basically sets the context. It tells us a lot. Because it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. The book takes place during the period of the judges. And I would think that would be a period of stability and of normalcy and societal order and when all things were good and abundance. But it wasn't. It was actually a very dangerous time in Israel. The Bible says in Judges 17 and again in, verse, in uh, uh, Judges 21 that the period of the judges was a day when, quote, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That means there were few rules, few consequences, very little order in society, no guiding principles. And when that's the norm in any society, chaos tends to, to reign. Violence can become prevalent and apostasy and unchecked lawlessness abound. The powerful become more powerful and the weak become weaker. And it's against that backdrop of strife and chaos and difficulty and pain that the book of Ruth takes place. And it's about ordinary people living ordinary lives, experiencing ordinary human pain and suffering and difficulty, yes, yet producing extraordinary results. 
And if you think about it, Hollywood couldn't write a better script. You have tragedy, you have human suffering, you have overcoming difficulty, overcoming the odds. In the end, you have the victory, the victory of the human spirit. But it's not a Hollywood script. It's a real story about the faith and the loyalty and the responsibility and the love of a woman who played a direct part in the Messiah story. And yet, in some ways, this little book is misleading because, if you think about it, there are really three main characters. Ruth is one of the main characters. And she takes the initiative to the events in chapter 2, but Naomi is a main character, and she takes... Um, initiative in chapter 3, and Boaz takes the initiative in chapter 4. And you could really argue that the book really centers around Naomi rather than Ruth, since she rather eloquently states the problem, the problem to be addressed in, uh, in towards the end of chapter 1. And she even kind of overshadows Ruth, her daughter-in-law, at the end of chapter 4. But in the true sense, neither of them are the central character. The implication of this book is that God is watching over his people, and he brings to pass what is good. The book of Ruth is really a book about God. It's about God and God's purposes being carried out through the actions of ordinary people. Let's see if this will work. I know everybody's sitting way back, so I put a, a, a map on the screen. That's brilliant on my part. But the story of this takes place, or the, uh, the context is this area here, Bethlehem over to Moab. The country of Moab was between Eden, Edom and Ammon in the high plateau east of the Dead Sea. It was about 60 miles or so from Bethlehem, or 30 to 60 miles, depending on the route you took. We know the story of Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. He lived in Sodom. His sons-in-law, or pledged sons-in-law, however, whatever translation you want to believe, died, were killed when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Afterwards, God, or a lot, minus his wife and his two daughters, lived in a cave. And on successive nights, the girls got him drunk and they became pregnant by Lot. Each daughter gave birth to a son. The youngest daughter, uh, son was named Ben-Ami, who became the father of the Ammonites. And the oldest daughter gave birth to a son named Moab. And he became the father of the Moabites. That will be key later on in this story. The terrain was rugged and steep between Bethlehem and and Moab, so this journey could take seven to ten days on foot. But on a clear day, you could actually see the heights of Moab from, from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the eventual birthplace of King David. And also, of course, the birthplace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's only about six or seven miles south of Jerusalem. 
But in this scenario, instead of the birthplace of the Messiah or the birthplace of King David, it represents a place of famine and difficulty and hunger and pain. And some even believe that Elimelech, who was uh, Naomi's husband, was not even justified in leaving. In fact, his death could be attributed to his leaving Bethlehem. And the son's death was because they married strange women in Moab. So that's a summary of the first uh, few verses, but I'm going to pick up verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where they had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to me and your dead husbands. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, We will go and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought I was still there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband in night and gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand is turned against me. At this they wept out loud. Then Norfolk kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and I will be buried there. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Driven by famine away from their home, Elimelech's family was driven to Moab for over 10 years, where he and his sons died. And back to Moab for a second, as we stated, um, Lot's oldest daughter gave birth to Moab. And when Israel entered the promised land, if you remember. The tribes of Reuben and Gad conquered parts of the the, uh, country that the Amorites had essentially taken from the Moabites. And there was constant fighting between the house of Israel and the house of Moab. Saul and David fought there. 
Ehud, one of the judges, subdued uh, Moab for 80 years. But the two countries were also friendly with each other at times. As evidenced by here in the book of Ruth, obviously they were able to travel from Bethlehem to Moab and stay there for 10 years. Um, Eventually, Moab was able to free themselves from Israel's domination during the uh, reign of King Ahab. But back to this story, while they're in Moab, all three males die and leaves their mother, Naomi, without any posterity or, or offspring. So she returns to Bethlehem, Naomi does, to face the prospects of a very hard life a life of scarcity and deprivation and sorrow. And just like is too often the case today, life as a widow in ancient Israel was very hard. The events of chapter 1, though, failed to address the problem. It merely explains how Ruth, the Moabitess, came to come back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And as the chapter 1 closes, the problems are abundantly clear. Naomi doesn't have a husband or children. Ruth doesn't have a husband. All they have is each other. They're both widows. And together they face the realities of poverty. But the rest of the book then describes this gradual unfolding of a solution that God brings about that will address these problems. But the question still remains, why Ruth? She would seem to be the least likely to be part of this story. And for a second here, let me redeem Orpha for a minute. Orpha, however you want to pronounce it. For, for many years, skipping over the story, I always thought that it was cruel of her to leave Naomi. But if you read the story, she didn't want to leave Naomi. It caused her to be heartbroken to leave Naomi. She wept out loud. It, it, she was very sorrowful to leave Naomi. She didn't want to leave her, but she did. Of all the people, though, Ruth would seem to be the least likely. She would seem to be the least likely to carry out God's purposes because, number one, she was not an Israelite. She was a Moabite, or Moabitess, I guess, would be the best way to put it. And we have no indication that she was converted or or practiced or followed the Jewish religion other than her statement in, in uh, verse uh, 16 of chapter 1, was that your God will be my God. But above all, she was dedicated to Naomi. And if I can be completely honest with you, if it were up to me, and I was writing this story, my first consideration probably would have been an Israelite woman. But Ruth wasn't. But she was going to fulfill God's purposes. She was a woman. 
During this time in this culture, women were powerless. Women and children were essentially the property of the household. And unfortunately, they were often mistreated, shoved aside, shunned, considered property, not someone who would be considered to be used for God's purposes. She was a widow, as we already mentioned. Then and even now, widows were often neglected, they were cheated, they were mistreated, they were powerless. They were shunned, and often they were forgotten by society. But if you think about it, it's ironic that during a period of drought and famine, right before God would demonstrate his power and majesty, God sent the prophet Elijah to Zarephath, to a widow's house, whose plight in her own mind, in her own actions, was inevitable, and her demise was certain until God intervened. Naomi was poor. The poor had no power. The rich had the power. Those who were in uh, the upper parts of society had the power. This is why she gleaned in the field. In... um, Delivering the law of Moses, God told Moses, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Now, gleaning is the act of collecting what was left over. When the professional uh, or commercial harvesters came through, they didn't catch everything, didn't get everything, or it wouldn't or some fields weren't economically profitable to, to harvest. good example is if you've seen anybody uh, plant maybe soybeans or something, and then it, they're underwater for several weeks, and then a few soybeans come up here and there, but it's not economical for them to, to harvest them. They can either plow them and start again if there's enough time left in the, in the growing season, but it's not economically profitable. So just the fact that she's gleaning indicates the level of her poverty. And in fact, some ancient cultures promoted this as a form of a welfare system. She'd been released by her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law said, you owe me nothing. Naomi said, you can go back. You're young. Go remarry if that was possible. She was, it was her right to return to her people. And most would have expected to, her to return to her people. But it's Ruth who believed in verse 16 that your people are my people. Your God is my God. But if you were to have told, if you were to have told Ruth, though, that she would return to Bethlehem, that she would marry again, and that she would bear a son, and that son would be in the direct lineage of the Messiah, she must have wondered to herself, why me? There are countless women in Israel who could be chosen for this. There are countless women in Israel who could have have served as the great-grandmother to King David. There are 
many women in Israel who were more qualified in the world's eyes to be in this position than me. So Ruth must have wondered, why me, Lord? And, and speaking of the marriage of the two sons to Moabite women, this was not forbidden in the law of Moses, uh, but severe restrictions were uh, later placed on the descendants. They, of course, in Genesis 19, we can read about the, where the Moabites descended from, but they accepted a pagan deity, the, uh, the god uh, Chemosh as their god. Moabites worshipped God. They didn't worship Jehovah God. And they were perpetual enemies of Israel and the countries around them. Now, there were exceptions, as we stated. You know, the book of Ruth is an exception. David's parents were actually cordially received by the king of Moab. However, in general, God directed that his people should avoid and totally destroy those that were not part of the nation of Israel. And they were to drive these nations out of the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 7 beginning in verse 1, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Gergesites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and have defeated them, you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and quickly destroy you. This is what you're to do to them. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their, their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people. His treasured possession. Now, given that, it's amazing that Ruth is even in this story, even part of this narrative. God would, knew what would happen if people, his people were allowed to intermarry. And he did not want them intermarrying or mixing with the other religions around them because he knew that it would lead them astray. Even Nehemiah, the, the great restorer Nehemiah, wrote... Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them, called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons. You are not to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like those that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Many, among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we, now, must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? Ezra even wrote basically the same thing, that 
he was weeping out loud bitterly because of their association, their intermarrying with the pagan nations around them. But the key is, this marriage that would take place later on between Ruth and Boaz, God did not condemn it. God did not prevent it. God actually blessed it. And based on everything the prophets had said about a marriage like this, it's amazing that it even took place. And in our minds, my mind especially, I don't see how it could have taken place. That's why it's hard to understand in human terms why God would use someone like Ruth. Given her exposure to the Israelites, she knew their religion, she knew the customs, she knew the, the, uh, the way of society. She must have been wondering, why me? Why am I chosen for this role? She even asked Boaz in, later on in chapter 2, uh, verse 10, I believe. Yeah, in verse 10, she says, in this, uh, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? In other words, Ruth is saying, I'm a foreign. I'm not an Israelite. I'm a widow. I'm supposed to be weak and powerless in society. Why are you being nice to me? But Boaz tells her in chapter 2, verse 11, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know where you've come from. And Are you ready, Ruth, for the answer to the question? Because here it is. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May may you be richly rewarded by the, the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. God didn't prevent this relationship and this marriage. He blessed it. So the simplest answer might be, To the question Ruth may have, or any of us may have, why me, Lord? The question might be, why not Ruth? If God chooses to use someone completely unexpected to accomplish his purposes, then how, how are, why are we to argue with that? Doesn't God often use people that we would least expect to accomplish his purposes? the flawed, the imperfect. Abraham, he was old in his own words. Job, he went bankrupt in essence. Gideon, he was timid and somewhat unbelieving. Moses, he said, Lord, I'm not your guy. Find someone else. Rahab, the prostitute. Peter, Martha, Mary, most of the disciples, even Paul, who once known as Saul, did everything he could to destroy the church. Yet God used them all, every single one of them, for his purposes. So the first story, the story of Ruth, and the question is, why me, Lord, is... Why not? Because God is in control. God is the one who's determined who he will use for his purposes. 
no matter how dark or dreary or difficult or desperate or sinister the events of life are, God loves his people, and he's still working out his purposes through them. You know, it's often the uh, ordinary, the mundane events of life, and the people that walk this face of the earth that discover God at work. And if we ever wonder, why me, Lord? We ever wonder, you know, God, do you really have a purpose for me? God, can you really be interested in me? If you ever really wondered if God can be interested in you, you will find that he is. So the real story of the first chapter building to the next chapters is if God can use Ruth, he can use any of us. And he can use all of us, and he will use all of us for his purposes. Next week, we'll consider another character in this story. Her name's Naomi. And we'll consider her plight and how God used her for, her, for his purposes as well. Next week, we'll walk a mile in Naomi's shoes and see where those shoes took her. Well, that wraps up this first part. The book of Ruth is not only about Ruth. The book of Ruth is about God. It's about a God who loves us and a God who cares for us and a God who will use us for his purposes. As we sing this song, if there are those who need to partake of the Lord's Supper, it's still prepared in room 100. Or if, uh, as always, if anyone has any need that uh, we can address, please let us know. Let us stand.